Hello, welcome to another episode of Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. I hope the people listening at home, wherever you are around the world, are managing to keep safe and ideally well during these unusual times we're finding ourselves living in. Here in the UK, I've been broadly housebound since early April, and I'm sure it's the same or potentially even more severe restrictions for other people elsewhere in the world. Issues around substance use and addiction have been widely discussed since the COVID-19 outbreak. Issues around supply, withdrawal, using substances to cope, and also whether certain substances might increase or potentially decrease a person's risk of illness from the disease. In particular, smoking and nicotine has made headlines, and often contradictory ones. In this episode, I'm speaking to a researcher who's conducting a living systematic review to explore the associations between COVID and smoking to better understand why some of these discrepancies might have come about. So here we go. Fab, so if I could just get you to briefly introduce yourself. Yeah, hi. Thanks very much for having me. Um, So I'm Olga Persky and I'm a research associate in the Tobacco and Alcohol Research Group at University College London. And the reason that we're talking today is because there's an awful lot of information at the moment about, or there's an awful lot of news at the moment about smoking and COVID. For example, some of the things that I've seen when I've been on Twitter or on newspapers is um, the hashtag quit for COVID, this big push to try and encourage people to stop smoking while there is this respiratory pandemic going on. There were some studies that came out of China initially that suggested they weren't were quite small studies, I think, but they seem to suggest that people who developed COVID were likely to have worse outcomes if they were smokers. Things like being more likely to need to be put onto a ventilator or have help breathing and potentially at higher risk of mortality as well. But since that study or that kind of bit of research came out, more recently there have been this kind of low-level rumbling that's kind of developed into something more recently that actually there seems to be something weird going on that perhaps smokers are less likely to get COVID. That in some data sets, certainly ones that I've seen shared on Twitter, there seems to be a lower rate of current smokers than you might expect from the general population. And now um, there's a trial underway in France looking at nicotine patches as a potential treatment for COVID or prevention for COVID. What's going on? Yeah, so that's a well, excellent summary of uh, what seems to be going on. And I think it's probably helpful to break it down a little bit further into kind of separate things. So one of the kind of arguments is that smokers might be less likely to, to get infected in the first place. And that's to do with caveating that I'm obviously not a medical expert Um but that there seems to be some evidence that the way that the virus enters the cells, the lung cells, is through this ACE2 receptor. And that seems to be uh, upregulated in smokers. So that's both current and former smokers seem to have upregulated receptor levels, which might make them more vulnerable to contract the virus. But there's actually very mixed evidence. So some studies show that nicotine uh, or smoking might might lead to the down regulation of these receptors. So the problem really is that in order to understand whether smokers are at greater risk of infection, we want to see community testing studies. And there are very few of them at the moment where there's a study just looking at testing and by smoking status and then going on to see who tests positive, who tests negative. 
So in this review that we've conducted, um, which was published yesterday, we only found one study so far where there's been community testing. Uh, so this was a study, or it's a cohort, a US military veteran cohort. And what was interesting there was that it seemed that smokers were seemed to be more likely to form part of this sample in the first place. So there were more smokers than what would be expected from, from that population. But then there was evidence that among that sample who were tested, smokers seemed more likely to be to test positive. So I'm not sure whether we want to draw any strong conclusions from that, because it, it could also... So it's a bit worrying that obviously community testing means that people need to sort of meet the local testing criteria, which could be persistent cough, which is obviously consistent with SARS-CoV-2 positive test, but then also with smoking. A bit tricky. Yeah, so this is a really a sort of pernicious problem here that I think we're seeing for lots of things, certainly in the UK and I think in lots of other places around the world as well. While we're kind of in the middle of this pandemic, we're not seeing a representative sample of people who are getting tested. The people who are tested, certainly in the UK, are likely to be the very severely ill people in hospital a random selection of politicians and celebrities, and now um, frontline healthcare workers and potentially um, people in care homes and that kind of thing going forward. What we talk about in science a lot is how important getting a representative underlying sample of the population you're interested in. And so far, in lots of places around the world, there just isn't, isn't that situation. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. I think that describes it very well. And just to add to, because there is one other source of evidence that's kind of being ramped up at the moment, which is these tracking apps that you might have come across as well. In the UK, um, researchers at King's College London are collaborating with, with a company called Zoe. So they've got an app called the Zoe app, uh, where people can, they can download it and then track symptoms over time. And they've got a question on smoking status. Unfortunately, they've just got a question on, are you a smoker? Yes, no, which we can come into later as well in terms of why that's a bit problematic. What they've seen in, so they've um, released a report on the 30th of March. So it's a bit dated now in COVID parlance or COVID times. Um, but they found that smokers were 26% more likely to self-diagnose SARS-CoV-2 symptoms. So from that, I mean, I suppose that exactly what you what you mentioned earlier is, you know, that's not a representative sample of people downloading the app. And then there are obvious problems with self-diagnosis. And again, one of the key symptoms is persistent cough, which smokers might be more likely to experience in the first place. So you've been looking at all the data that's been published so far to try, you've conducted a systematic review exploring why some of these associations might be seen or to try and get a better handle on looking more globally, what might the link between smoking and COVID be? So one of the things I'm really interested in is why do you think we're seeing in some pockets of evidence that suggests that smokers are less likely to get COVID? What's, what's going on with the data there? Yeah, so that's really interesting. And I think, um, so coming back to our kind of distinctions between sort of infection and then hospitalization then severity and then mortality I think if we kind of think of it as those four categories so what the evidence seems to be suggesting is that 
there's a protective effect potentially of smoking when it comes to hospitalisation. Those studies that I just mentioned were more about sort of who is likely to be infected. And I think there, there's just not very good evidence that nicotine would be either protective or kind of um, putting people at more risk of infection. But then when it comes to hospitalisation, so this, we need to remember that this is a group of people who obviously have more severe symptoms because the majority of people who do get infected can manage in the community and have quite mild symptoms. And what a bunch of different studies seem to have reported is lower than expected rates of both current and former smokers. But then, so there was a a review published a couple of weeks ago, but because studies are coming out very rapidly, we decided to, to set up kind of a living systematic review so we're planning on updating this regularly yeah so so in our review we identified 28 studies the majority of them were conducted in China but then there are studies coming out from um, the US and France and kind of multi-site studies that collect data in different countries so there's also data from the UK I would say the general pattern there is that rates of smokers seem to be lower than national prevalence but then what we did, which I don't think any other review has done, was to really try and dig into the sort of quality of the recording of smoking status. What's quite worrying, uh, but also very understandable during a pandemic, is that in most hospital settings, the doctors obviously wouldn't have focused on systematically recording smoking status. Um, So across these 28 studies, we only found three studies that clearly sort of recorded current versus former versus never smoking status. And in the other studies, it was very difficult to know whether they just recorded whether or not people were currently smoking and then treating everybody else as a never smoker. But then there's no way of knowing whether they might be former smokers, for example. Or On the basis of, of the current data, are conclusion there from from looking at the evidence is that there doesn't seem to be an effect uh, of smoking on hospitalization at the moment but then there might be some very limited evidence that if you are hospitalized then if you're uh, an ever smoker so lumping together current and former then you're at greater risk of severe disease compared with the other people who already kind of have quite severe disease because they are hospitalised, if that makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. And I think it's a really important point that when we're, when we're so focused on what little data there is at the moment because everyone's wanting to understand this disease better and understand what, what are risk factors and what are protective factors, you don't necessarily think about where the data was collected and under what circumstances. And it's not at all surprising that it's emergency um, physicians who are dealing with this massively oversubscribed wards and people who are incredibly sick and while they're in full to head-to-toe protective gear themselves, hopefully, it's really, really difficult for them to be doing their jobs in this situation. And, and so, of course, like the data that we would love to have as researchers, we need to be a bit more patient for, perhaps, because you know people are working in incredibly trying times trying to save people's lives and that should absolutely be the priority rather than collecting an entire backgr- background from a patient who needs to be put on a ventilator and can't necessarily breathe or speak very well. Absolutely and I think we I mean it's also quite interesting you know considering that we still need to make decisions even though 
these data might be very poorly recorded. So uh, because there might be some consequences of not having any public health messaging specifically for smokers during COVID. And this is where the whole issue of whether or not there's a protective effect of nicotine might have potentially quite harmful consequences, either from saying prematurely that it does have a protective effect or not saying anything. And so just to come back to what what's the sort of biological plausibility for that. Uh, and I think what the, the, the main argument there is that it's not so much about nicotine sort of up or down regulating these ACE2 receptors for pe- so that people are more or less likely to be infected, but it's more, I think, to do with kind of anti-inflammatory properties of nicotine. So once people are infected, nicotine might stop the body from sort of overreacting to the virus, which is one of the hypotheses as to why some people have really, really bad outcomes, whereas others are fine. If that were the case, then we would see protective effects only really in current smokers or vapors or people who use any sort of nicotine product. And that's what a few studies have concluded, which has also led to the media emphasising this. And I think one sort of quite immediate and very important consequence of this is that in France, they've now had to ban the sale, online sale of nicotine products, uh, and then also limiting in pharmacies um, the sale of, I think you're only allowed to purchase supplies for one month at a time, because people are now just bulk buying nicotine, basically. So yeah, we do need to be a bit careful about uh, about these uh, about the evidence, basically. Yes, I think there's been a few examples of so, sort of supposed miracle cures being mentioned in the media, and then medicines that treat other conditions suddenly becoming unavailable because uh, someone has mentioned that they have heard something about it, and so the people who actually need these treatments for the conditions that they definitely do work for can't get them, and lots of people are taking untested medications that may or may not do anything at all, and certainly in the case of. Uh, nicotine, if people think that starting smoking or continuing to smoke or increasing the amount that they smoke is is likely to be beneficial for them, they are lining themselves up for an extremely uh, bad <laughs> outcome because of all the other things we know that that tobacco smoking increases the risk of, regardless of its relationship with COVID-19. So is there, was there anything else that you found when you um, or that you are finding from your, I love the term living systematic review. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's such a such a great idea for the situation that is constantly sort of evolving and changing that you can, you can be really reactive to the data that's published. So what have you found so far? Yeah, so I think that um, this format is really helpful. And we've already had peer review comments from the community, which is also really helpful for kind of spotting errors and how things have been framed, which I think... Because during a pandemic and kind of producing these systematic reviews a lot quicker than we're used to as researchers, I think, you know, there's obviously a trade-off between kind of speed and accuracy. Um, So I think it is likely that there are more errors. So it's just really helpful to kind of have the community contribute and scrutinise and make sure um, things are in order. So yeah, so um, what what we found so far, apart from what I already mentioned, is that kind of 
well, the key thing is really that across these 28 studies that are available at the moment, and I think we are going to see an increase, is that smoking status seems to be very poorly recorded and none of the studies that we included um, had biochemically verified smoking status, for example. Also, important to note is that none of the studies assessed vaping um, and there's been, I think, um, vapors in particular are, are quite uh, keen to to get some evidence um, on, you know, whether, whether or not vaping might be protective or putting them at greater risk. Um, so that's also really important going forwards that, you know, as soon as there's any data on vaping, lots of people will obviously be very interested in that. And then, yeah, I think kind of splitting it into sort of, you know, likelihood of infection if infected, hospitalised, if hospitalised, worse outcomes, and then also death. The only positive outcome, rather than null findings, uh, was for disease severity, where from two higher quality studies, still fairly poor quality, uh, that we dared pooling together in a meta-analysis, we found limited evidence that, that ever smoking, so lumping together current and former smokers, uh, may be a greater risk of disease severity. Before we wrap up, one other thing I wanted to talk about was um, this uh, sort of quit for COVID hashtag. And um, is, there, is there any kind of impact of a pandemic that impacts on the respiratory system in terms of motivating people to quit or is is there any kind of effect like that? Yeah, so so that's a really interesting question and one that our group at UCL is very interested in, in looking at. So there are, I suppose, different hypotheses at play here because, I mean, it might be the case that... Um, people aren't or aren't more motivated than usual due to the pandemic um, or it might be the case that more people um, are interested in quitting uh, because they are concerned or it might go the other way so it, it might be the case that people are feeling really stressed and really uh, down and there are lots of uncertainties so might smoke more. We've set up or we're in the process of setting up a survey um, at UCL looking specifically at this so hopefully we'll have more evidence in the next months. Um, but then an initial study um, that I've been leading on, um, we thought it would be a good idea to try and look at if there is any evidence for kind of an uptick in interest, given that stop smoking services um, had to close temporarily. And then although a lot of them have now moved to telephone consultations, so there is still available support. But still, we thought that if there is an uptick in interest, um, we should probably see a spike in one of the more widely used and popular digital tools, because if that's what's available to people, that's probably what they're going to go to. And we've been working with, I think it's fair to say, the world's most popular smoking cessation app called Smoke Free, which has about a million global downloads per year. And it's, it features quite highly in kind of commercial app stores. So if people go on and search for something it's quite likely that they will that's what they're going to find so we thought okay um what if we conceptualize this as kind of an interrupted time series analysis with the period pre-covid and uh, and then we have an intervention which is essentially the the onset of the pandemic and has that acted as sort of a a trigger for people to to quit in higher numbers 
Or perhaps it's been more of a slow increasing trend. So we could test both hypotheses. But the difficulty there was obviously to choose when the intervention occurred. Was there a single date um, where people suddenly kind of experienced a surge in motivation? I suppose to to summarise the findings, uh, so we, we conducted two main analyses and then did a few different sensitivity analyses with different dates. And across those, we didn't find any evidence for a large effect on kind of an uptick or an increasing trend. Um, but then for, for a potential small effect, our data were insensitive to, to kind of distinguish um, between no effect and the alternative, essentially. So I think at the moment, we're not really seeing that in the smoke-free data, but then Obviously, really important to to note that um, this is only one source of support and there might have been a, an uptick in other sources of support. So anecdotally, stop smoking services in Wales have seen an increase in interest. So yeah, so I think we just need to, to continue to monitor this as well. And then importantly, if if we do notice that there is an uptick or even if we don't, it's really important to, to uh, be able to provide support to people who want to quit or switch to kind of a less harmful product during this period. So as, as a, someone who's really sort of in-depthly looked at all of this evidence, what would be your recommendation for people who are current smokers and current vapors? Well, really hard, obviously, because we do need to weigh up the kind of net benefits um, and harms. And I think given that there isn't that good quality evidence that smoking is either kind of exerts an additional risk to smokers or that nicotine might be protective, I think the wisest thing to do in this situation is to continue with the same advice that we would give smokers during any time of the year. If you can and if you um, are interested, then do try to quit smoking. Um, For vapors, I don't think there's any evidence at the moment to suggest that people should stop vaping. And if you're a dual user, um, I think, again, probably good idea to to switch to only to vaping so that those would be my my cautious recommendations at this moment in time so where where are you hoping that the research will go next or do you have any plans yourself so we've been talking quite a lot about um how kind of ongoing studies are obviously not set up particularly to to study smoking essentially during the pandemic so one thing that we are in the process of setting up is to purposefully design a study to address the issue of kind of lower the lower proportion of smokers seen in those hospitalized thinking about kind of good study designs there um, we've been um, planning a case control study at a single hospital site in the UK and that's also because here in the UK doctors are usually pretty good at recording smoking status we're planning a study looking at Cases being people meeting criteria for COVID who are hospitalised or from March 2020. And then our controls being from um, a previous year, so March 2019, and people hospitalised for respiratory illness and then comparing smoking rates across the two. Or Because I think that could also help with the problem of representativeness, because we also know that Obviously, people who are hospitalised are probably not going to be representative of the general population anyways. It's 
really important to find a good control that isn't just sort of national prevalence. So that was one way that we thought would be quite interesting to see if because so previous data also show that smokers are more likely to be hospitalized for bacterial or viral infections like just normal influenza um so yeah just comparing those two rates and looking at whether they're at least equivalent um would probably be quite useful in this situation as well and also something that we can do instead of having to set up a costly trial we can we can draw on previous data um but in a useful way hopefully that's really interesting. Great. Well, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak to us today and good luck with the ongoing lockdown and your research and everything, really. Great. Thank you so much for having me and it was a pleasure chatting to you. Yeah.